We are going to John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Um, And this is what that says. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood sticks, stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had a bit too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Good afternoon. It's great to be with you. And um, I want to focus in close on a single sentence in this passage. Mary's instruction to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And I want to speak about the spirit of joyful obedience. Now, that may sit oddly uh, with our particular times, where there is a lot of skepticism about authority and people in leadership. A recent survey uh, reveals that only 19% of us trust government ministers and politicians. 19, whereas 93% of us Trust librarians to tell the truth. Let's hear it for librarians. Thank you. And to many, authority is suspect. And in our culture, obedience often feels like it's a constraint upon us. We think it will lead to joylessness. We're to be led by our feelings. We're not to be driven by duty. And in my adult life, before I came to follow Jesus... I found it very difficult to obey and to respect those in authority. I worked as a theatre director, I was in the creative arts, and like many in that kind of profession, I was sceptical about those in authority. I distrusted institutions. And my mantra was to follow my desires, to follow my bliss. And yet, even when we struggle with authority... Something within us as human beings longs to respond to something grander and nobler that is calling to us, something that we can pledge ourselves to and follow. And in this light, hear Mary's words here. Do whatever he tells you. Spoken about her son, Jesus. These are her first words spoken about her adult son since he's begun his ministry at the age of 30. And who is this speaking? This is a woman who has been called the paragon of discipleship, the ultimate example of discipleship, 
a model of obedience. A woman who, as a young woman, was visited by the angel Gabriel, and when he told her that she was going to give birth to the Son of God, she said to the angel, may it be to me according to what you have said. Total obedience, total surrender. In that moment, Mary does whatever God tells her, and it changes the course of human history. But Mary's words here aren't just her first words about Jesus in ministry. They're her last recorded words in the Gospels. Do whatever he tells you. They're her life message. They're the life message of the mother of the Son of God for you. Do whatever he tells you. And I want to propose that how we relate to those five words will determine the course of our discipleship and our lives. So we see three things in this passage about the one that Mary calls us to obey. And the first is that Jesus comes to partner with us, not to pressurize us. John begins his account, when the wine was gone. And so often, Jesus gives us an instruction in response to a problem that we have, a lack that we have, a need that we have, a crisis that we're in. What kindness, what generosity. And he could solve this shortage himself in an instant if he wanted to. He is God incarnate. He is the water into wine man. But that isn't his way. He doesn't grandstand. This isn't his solo show. Instead, he invites us to partner with him. He loves it when we join in with him because it will draw us closer to him. Now note, Mary says, do whatever he tells you. And in the Greek, that's actually three words that John uses, each of them making up that word, whatever. But the fact is, is that each of those words in the Greek also means whatever. So a truer rendition of her line to the servants is, do whatever Whatever, whatever he tells you. Or whatever, whatever, whatever he tells you, do it. However extraordinary it is, however off the scale of your understanding, Jesus sees every aspect of your life. He sees it in all its details. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows what is best for you in every regard. Do not let your earthly way of seeing things get in the way of that whatever. His ways are not your ways. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You see only water. He already sees wine. And with her whatever here, Mary prepares the servants to be obedient. She prepares them in their spirit. And we need to cultivate a spirit of obedience. We need to cultivate in advance, because otherwise, when we hear one of those instructions of Jesus to us, do you know what? In the moment, we may decide we don't feel like it. But a prepared spirit, a yielded spirit, leads you to something different. A month after becoming a Christian, I woke up on New Year's Day 2002, and um, I'd come to faith later in life. I was somebody who had been through a series of uh, relationships, in my life, and I woke up that morning and I felt so overjoyed that I was in a relationship with God. But I was also agitated inside 
because I was struggling that I wasn't in a romantic relationship. It, was, it wasn't something that made me happy. And God, in his kindness, read the warning signals. And out of nowhere, he dropped into my head this, 1 Corinthians 7.23. I'd hardly even started reading the Bible. I'd been reading it a month or two. I'd only read the Gospels. I didn't know who or what a Corinthian was. But I turned to that page, and this is what I found. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of the world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. God was telling me to trust him for my future. He was telling me that it was enough for him and me to be enjoying each other's presence. I didn't need a romantic relationship at this stage. And knowing that, hearing those words from God, and being able to walk into that in obedience, that gave me such security. I didn't know what the future would hold. I didn't know if I would ever be in a relationship again. But it assured me that God was with me. Something changes within us when we yield to God in advance. And then Mary says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Because Jesus tells us things. Jesus speaks His instructions here, they're not opaque, they're not complex. He speaks to us. He is not mute. He hasn't lost his voice. He's still speaking to us today. And he speaks to us through the words of Scripture, of course. He also speaks to us through the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth who leads us into all truth. And he speaks to us through one another as well, through wise others. And he says, my sheep Listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. You can hear the voice of the good shepherd speaking to you. Now see how the servants respond in this passage with an obedient spirit. They're all in. They immediately start doing what Jesus has instructed. They don't uh, query anything. They don't delay. They don't object. They They don't say, Jesus excuse me, we've got a Beaujolais problem, we've not got an Evian still water problem. They set to it immediately. They don't delay. To Mary's do, they do it. Now, we don't do in order to earn our salvation. That is coming to us by grace alone. But once we're a Christian, the key question of Christian discipleship is this. Are you a do-it person? St. James writes, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Are you a rubber-hits-the-road Christian? Now, of course, it's it's easy uh, to be a do-it person in many ways in our culture. Being a do-it person doesn't necessarily mean anything in itself. You You can go on Amazon Prime and get something instantly. You can get delivery food to your door, instant gratification. The question is not, are you a do-it person, but who are you doing it for? Who is your doing it serving? In 1979, Bob Dylan, who'd just become a Christian, wrote a song called Gotta Serve Somebody. And he sang in it this. He said, whether you're an ambassador or the heavyweight champion of the world, 
or a socialite with a long string of pearls, you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. None of us is exempt from obeying another person or thing. We're all bound to people or things that we worship. The Prime Minister Disraeli said, man is made to adore and to obey. But if you will not command him, if you give him nothing to worship, he will fashion his own divinities and find a chieftain in his own passions. But the servants here, they obey Jesus. They respond promptly. They're all in. And with their actions, fetching water to go in the jars, they go all out. John writes this, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. You see, there's a certain kind of cheerless obedience, isn't there, where we, you know, reluctantly agree, and we kind of, you know, do the minimum in order to obey. And then there's a cheerful obedience, a joyful obedience, where, I mean, can you imagine it? The, water, the servants, they're kind of pouring in the water, and they're enjoying that game, you know, where you see the water level rising actually above the mouth of the jar. They're excited, and Jesus loves their enthusiasm. They fill the water fully, and he pours out wine fulsomely in response. The servants don't hold back. So often, we hold back in our following of Jesus. So often, we half obey. We hesitate and delay. We pick and mix. Maybe you're independent-minded, Maybe you follow a kind of selective obedience. Maybe you, you kind of live out your faith in separate boxes. So it's church on Sunday, it's gossip or porn on Monday. But Jesus says a person cannot have two masters. You can only follow one person if you follow Jesus. And your obedience is it's what you do in the dark as well as in the daylight. It's a backstage matter as well as a front stage one. In this story, there's a master of the banquet, okay? And he's the kind of person who's going to, you know, trumpet the news that this amazing, fantastic wine has arrived. But obedience goes on in the spiritual backstage. It's what the servants are doing. And Jesus has asked the servants to help him. And the servants are a model for our discipleship, for our following him. So as Emily and Paddy were saying, this Team Sunday is an amazing opportunity to ask yourself, am I a servant of Jesus? Do I want to help serve Jesus and his church and others? So that's the first thing. Whatever, whatever, whatever he tells you, do it. But why ever should we? Why? Which brings us to the second thing, that Jesus comes to love us, not to legislate. Jesus is called to obey. It always comes in the context of relationship with us. He speaks to us in love, and he invites us to respond in love. As a guest at this feast, he is here and he needs to provide a wedding gift. But interestingly, Jewish law prevents him from using his ministry funds to buy that gift, and he doesn't have any other money. 
But Jewish law also allows a rabbi's father at a wedding ceremony to buy the gift on behalf of his son instead. And that's exactly what happens here. Jesus reads his father in heaven's heart and he gives the servants instructions and God the father pours out that top-notch wine. It's a gift given in love and the instruction is given in love too. It's love that gives the most amazing wedding gift ever seen. Jesus loves us. His obedience is not some kind of cold hand of duty on our shoulder. It's a warm invitation to join in with the blessing that he longs to give us. St. Ignatius said, it is not hard to obey when we love the one whom we obey. And when you hunger after Jesus, obedience never seems forbidding. This is why we love to worship here. Because when we stand in worship, amazed by Jesus, then obedience is the most natural thing we'd long to do next, to draw closer to him. It's in a loving relationship with Jesus that we feel most fulfilled and most free. It's about the joy of partnership. There's no do-it-yourself in Christian discipleship. No. You do what only you can do, and then Jesus does what only he can do. And we can trust him, because we know he's obedient himself. It's been well said, never trust a leader who doesn't follow. Napoleon Bonaparte once said, I can no longer obey. I've tasted command, and I cannot give it up. But Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Sometimes it's good to question authority. Sometimes our society has really moved on through questioning a previous generation's values and ways of doing things. Sometimes it's right to question authority because it's a justice issue. You'll know that at the moment, young Iranian women are protesting very courageously about the death of a 22-year-old Kurdish woman, Masa Amini. Sometimes we need to protest to authority, but we don't want to get locked in a kind of perpetual suspicion about authority. We've got to discern what is life-giving authority and what is poor or abusive authority. And why do the servants obey Jesus? Because they see and recognize in him a submitted spirit and spiritual authority. Do his commands ever fail us? Never. Jesus' commands never disappoint the one who obeys them. In scripture, it's the rich young ruler whose obedience is only partial, who goes away sad. Jesus brings merriment to anyone who obeys him. Is there a cost to obeying him? Of course, sometimes there is a cost. But the cost, the consequences of disobedience are far harder than the consequences of obedience. And God's grace always 
enables us to follow. About 12 years ago, um, I was working in film, uh, but I suddenly had these stirrings to consider a call to become ordained. And uh, I was deeply uncomfortable with these feelings. Uh, I didn't like the idea at all. And, um, but I was trying to be obedient to God. And so I went away to a beautiful bit of countryside for the day to pray and to listen to God. And uh, I heard nothing all day. And then five minutes before I was due to leave, God whispered to me this phrase, commit and the passion will come later. Commit and the passion will come later. And I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel any explosion of joy. But I decided to start walking that path of commitment. And as I did that, I realized there was going to be a real cost to this if this happened. It was going to mean giving up a creative job that I loved. It was going to mean leaving behind a home in London that I loved living in to go and train elsewhere. And yet, the call kept calling me. Slowly, mysteriously, the passion came. And by the time I started that training, I felt not only a passion, I felt a strange joy about what I was doing. And now I can't imagine doing anything else at all. You see, this isn't theoretical stuff. I mean, perhaps you're here today and uh, maybe you're uh, uh, recently come to Oxford to study and maybe you really didn't want to hear a talk about obedience because actually you feel like you've just left that all behind you and you can enter into your newfound freedom. But what I'm trying to say is that being obedient to Jesus leads us into freedom. It never leads us into constraint. Never. And I rejected Christianity in my first term at university. And I wandered for years as a result, making lots of poor life choices. There's a classic book about following Jesus. It's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. But you can also follow a long obedience in the wrong direction. And the results can be really catastrophic. Flight navigation experts talk about the one in 60 rule. And it says that for every one degree that a plane veers off course, every 60 miles it flies, it misses its target by one mile. So after 100 meters, you're off by two meters, which isn't huge. After a mile, you're off by 30 meters, beginning to make a bit more of a difference. Veer off course by one degree flying around the equator, and you arrive 500 miles away from your target. And it's the one in 60 rule which meant that in 1979, a passenger jet carrying 257 people from New Zealand on a sightseeing trip to the Antarctica crashed into an enormous volcano in that frozen landscape because the flight coordinates were two degrees off what they should have been. I know the mess that you can make in areas of your life when you're not heading in the wrong direction, when you're veering off course from Jesus. I've been there. Please don't do it. And then thirdly, our passage shows us that Jesus comes to make joy, not to kill joy. So often we think that obedience is going to lead us into misery. 
But with Jesus, obedience leads us to a party. I worked out with a friend who works at the Oxford Wine Company that the six huge jars of water that are filled with water here by the servants, they would yield 5,000 glasses of wine, top-notch wine. And the constant refrain of the Gospels is this, you give Jesus a little and he gives you everything. You give him a mustard seed of faith, he moves mountains. You obey him by rising up from the waters of baptism and he'll raise you up from death to eternal life. Just after I became a Christian, I needed to move where I lived in London. And uh, on the same day, I went to see two different rooms in two different properties in London. And the first room cost £1,000 per month. And it was going to take an hour and 20 minutes traveling on the London Underground to get to my place of work. And then I went to see another room in another property. It was going to cost me £300 per month. And it was going to take 20 minutes by bike to work. And the first property was in a really run-down area of London. And the second property was in a leafy street next to Hampstead Heath. And what happened when I prayed to God about it? He gave me peace around the more expensive property in the grimier part of London that was going to take three times longer for me to get to work. But he gave me no peace around the other property. And as a result of moving into the more expensive property that was further away in the grimier part of London, I met my future best man. I met my future wife. I changed church and met the network of friends who are closest to me today. Life flows out of our obedience. And the master of the banquet here thinks that the bridegroom has kept the best wine till last. The master misses the miracle. The miracle is experienced by the people who've obeyed or watched the servants obeying Jesus' instructions. John writes, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Your faith grows lockstep in obedience to walking with Jesus. But we need help. We need help in this. We all need help. We need roadmaps. We need wise guides who are a little bit further along from us. We need people to walk the walk with, and this is why we're running good ground, why we're having two welcome evenings over the next two uh, nights. And you can check out alldates.org forward slash good ground for more details. And if you've messed up, as we all mess up, as I've messed up in obeying Jesus, Jesus says, come back and be forgiven and receive my grace anew. He doesn't desert you in a time of feasting and he doesn't desert you in a time of famine. He's there for you, always faithful, always good. And how do we know that? Because at Cana, Jesus performs the first of the signs which will lead him directly to the cross. The place where his glory will be fully revealed. The place where he'll pour out his blood in ample measure, like the abundant wine being poured out here for you and for me, to know that we're forgiven of our sins. That's the wonderful news I heard at my lowest point 
That's what changed everything for me. St. Paul says on the cross, Jesus is obedient to death for us. The writer of Hebrews says that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Perfect obedience, perfect joy. His joy, the joy that will be with him in the life to come forever. So if you've never given your life to Jesus before, hear the promise of Scripture. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is the invitation. That is an invitation which is utterly worth obeying. There's only one call on your life, just one, to do whatever Jesus tells you and to become as free to serve him as he was free in serving you by giving up his life. Jesus says this, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So may you know this blessing on your life as you hear him and obey. Amen.